0: From National Securities Corporation, it's the Agribusiness Advisor podcast where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. All right, today we're going back to the beginning, the first individual that I podcasted. Uh, was with uh, my colleague, Sigiv Shiv, who oversees mergers and acquisitions and financial advisory services at National Securities Corporation. Sigiv and I have been working together now for, gosh, what's it been now? Ten years? Ten years? Wow, time flies. Ten years. And he is one of the smartest folks that I know uh, and, and I've worked with in my career, and I thought it would be great to have him back on to discuss one of the products and instruments that seems to be uh, on everyone's uh, uh, front of mind, which is the SPAC product. And I have a lot of questions for him, which I think uh, uh, you, as my listeners, have as well in the investor community, uh, as well as on the corporate side. So just for everyone's benefit, Sigeve, can you just quickly provide your background? Um, you know, How long have you been in investment banking? and uh, uh, is there anything else that might be helpful for us to understand before we dive into uh, this back uh, conversation?
1: Uh, sure, and it's great to be back with you, Ivan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been uh, in investment banking now for uh, almost twenty-five years, and preceded that with just over ten years on the corporate side as CFO of um, uh, a global uh, diversified uh, manufacturer. And within investment banking, I've been um, in charge of Nationals uh, advisory and m and practice, as you've mentioned, and have done that at prior firms as well. And uh, have worked on several SPAC and de transactions through my career.
0: That's great. Well, here we are in the back half of 2020, which has been uh, quite a year. Um, so, Coronavirus. Has really had unintended uh, consequences and some consequences that may have been expected but I think when I look out in the capital markets a couple things come to my mind which is I'm a little surprised that the markets are as robust as they are Um, but even more interestingly I'm glad they're robust but even more interestingly is this emergence or re-emergence of the SPAC product not a, a new instrument, but it seems to be more common and more frequent lately, and may even be taking on a slightly different iteration than historical SPACs. I want to chat with you a little bit. Why now, and, and, and what is a SPAC?
1: Oh, so a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition corporation. It is a blank check company that is formed. To raise money in an IPO and then seek a merger or acquisition target, actually, an acquisition target. Uh, why now is, is a very good question. SPACs have been around for about 30 years, and they um, it, it is a cyclical product that is highly correlated to um, the market's performance. So SPACs show up when the market is robust and rising. And they tend, to, um, uh, they tend to flatten out or disappear or take a breather when the market is weaker. I think uh, there are a number of reasons why we're seeing what we're seeing these days. And, and uh, just for everyone's reference, uh, in 2020, SPACs have raised more than half of all IPO funds. Uh, and that's a first. They've never been this prominent and uh, several of the drivers have been one just the extraordinary liquidity that's been made available to the market by the fed and other central bankers as well as a very robust fiscal injection by the federal government Uh, and so that provided a lot of liquidity drove down interest rates and uh, the other thing that's happened especially at the initial stages of um, covid was a dislocation of the market, it was very hard to price assets and, and getting to a um, meeting of the minds between buyers and sellers was very difficult. Everybody was a buyer because prices have adjusted um, so dramatically, but there were very few sellers. And in a situation like that, uh, leads or sets the terms for raising money in anticipation of future opportunities, and that's what the SPAC allows investors to do.
0: Do you think that there's been any relationship between the Fed intervening in March of this year and the latest volume in SPACs in the sense that there's a lot of pressure in the interest rate environment to be near zero rates do investors really have nowhere to go to put a capital at risk, and they sort of view this back as sort of a, a an opportunity that they wouldn't have considered otherwise? So uh,
1: the short answer is is yes. Uh, investors are in a bind now, uh, and it's not mm-hmm. just because rates are zero; it's because that there's very little product out there. The Fed isn't just setting interest rates; it is also actively buying corporate obligations. And, and so if, uh, if you're a, an investor, and you ha- it, it would be impossible to compete with the Fed. And so the, 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 these investors are forced to look elsewhere. Uh, the other uh, element of this is opportunity cost. The way a SPAC is structured, investors uh, place their money in trust and wait for the SPAC to identify an acquisition target. While that money sits in trust, there's opportunity cost and if uh, the opportunity cost is very very low then putting that money in trust and waiting does not burden the investor and does not create uh, a a potential or that alternative cost is very low so it's an appealing uh, uh, investment vehicle in a very low opportunity cost environment
0: let's say i'm a sponsor, and I have a track record that investors can view and I can point to. And I'm interested in setting up a SPAC. What what is the process? How, how does it get set up? What are the uh, the steps that need to be taken? And how important is the sponsor in, in, in getting this?
1: Okay, so uh, let's perhaps first identify the major players in a SPAC. Uh, The sponsor is the primary player, critical to the SPAC success, critical to uh, attracting high quality investors. Uh, The investors themselves, initially they're what are called the IPO investors. And then there are investors in the private placement or the, uh, the mechanism that recycles the IPO investors. And then there is the target itself that uh, uh, is acquired by the SPAC and actually becomes the surviving uh, entity and remains the majority owner of the of the SPAC itself. So there are a number of, of players here, each has their own incentives. Some of them contradict or conflict, and finding that balance between these competing interests is is a very tricky exercise. So typically, a sponsor, someone who has, uh, as you say, Ivan, a track record and uh, should also have some pretty good relationships in the investment community, will reach out to institutional investors. And we should note that a SPAC is exclusively an institutional product. It's not a retail product. Um, uh, and, and, and sets up a company, uh, which then conducts an IPO. Just like at any other IPO, except in this case, the company has no business and no history. So uh, executing the IPO is actually fairly simple. Uh, the registration statement is, is, is very, very simple. There are no financials, there are no historicals, there is very little to tell. Uh, in fact, the SPAC is prohibited from discussing its uh in any specific manner, its uh acquisition targets. So conducting the IBO is very, very simple. Uh, the money is raised, placed in trust. Uh, the sponsor cannot touch uh, the amounts that are in trust. So the investors are secure in knowledge that uh, their money is safe, and uh, and then the sponsor at that point, once the money is uh, is um, is in trust, can then go and seek uh, its acquisition target.
0: How is that different than uh, a blank check company? So a blank check company,
1: um, which is the original um, iteration of a SPAC, a SPAC was formed to avoid the blank check designation. Blank check companies uh, are organizations that raise money that have, uh, similarly to a SPAC, that have uh, no identified business, but don't have the restrictions or the protections, I should say, to the investors. So a blank check company will raise the money and can immediately use it for anything, including operating expenses and compensation to insiders and things like that. In a SPAC, um, insiders, the sponsors, have no access to those funds. And so uh, the SEC and the exchanges uh, take a more benign view of a SPAC and uh, a SPAC can benefit or can avoid the uh, the adverse consequences of being a blank check. It's not considered a penny stock. It, it avoids Rule 405, 419. There, there are a whole host of restrictions that are placed on blank check companies that SPACs can avoid. And SPACs can also list on an exchange as opposed to on the bulletin board or the pink sheets, uh, which are really the only uh, venue for um blank check companies
0: well SPACs have been in sort of a frenetic stage in terms of issuance I would guess that in the next 18 months we all know whether or not it was the right thing to do or from the perspective of a sponsor I mean a sponsor can go out and either purchase a private company or set up a SPAC and use those proceeds and, and do a backdoor IPO. If the target wanted to be public, why wouldn't they just do an IPO?
1: So that's a really good question, and we should, uh, I think, uh, address that question in the context of uh, the public markets uh, in in their totality. That this uh, process of going public today is is. Much different than it was even five years ago. There are more ways to do it. Um, there's a lot more flexibility. Um, the uh, things like confidential filings, like direct listings. Just a couple weeks ago, the SEC changed its rules with direct listings, where a direct listing can now raise money. In the past, it couldn't. So there are many more options available today to a company that's considering going public. And a SPAC should be viewed as one alternative that should be considered in light of its advantages and disadvantages. And so, uh, in 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 evaluating whether to merge with a SPAC or to do a traditional IPO, uh, a lot goes into that uh, process. Uh, whether the company is um, uh, has sufficient brand value or sufficient brand recognition to avoid a roadshow. A roadshow is a very powerful tool to get the message out there talk to investors and uh, and and get them interested in the story. A SPAC, obviously, uh, there is no roadshow. Uh, a SPAC is also a merger between two companies, uh, have the, the IPO having been done prior to the acquisition. And so the process is different it gives a lot more flexibility to the merger itself in terms of how to, how to structure things like compensation, uh, payouts, uh, all of these things are very very strict in an IPO. They're a lot more flexible in a SPAC. Uh, the risk allocation is completely different. In an IPO the issuer takes on a lot of risk, uh, very uh, expensive a process that takes a long time, that is a huge distraction to management, with very little assurance that the IPO will succeed. Uh, clearly things can happen to the company itself, things can happen to the market, things can happen to the economy in general. Um, so an IPO is, is, a, is a process that bears a, a great deal of risk A SPAC merger is privately negotiated. Uh, The valuation is a lot more uh, secure and certain. And so the likelihood of a SPAC merger closing, I would think is higher than an IPO uh, closing. And that would be one of the benefits of doing a SPAC merger as opposed to an IPO. There are of course disadvantages that go along with that. There are price. There is a price to pay for that.
0: Given the uh, the nature of the Spac timeline, the fuse has been lit once they're public. Would you view it as a sort of a depreciating asset? If they are unable to, you know, every week that goes by, if they're unable to capture a target. Do they become more and more desperate to find a target, and, and therefore may have the set of discovery standards they had at the onset might be more loose as they're reaching their termination and do poorer deals.
1: So it's a great point, and it's important to note for your listeners that when SPACs form, they they form for a certain limited amount of time. And if they can't execute their merger, they liquidate. Uh, while the company, while the SPAC is going about its business and searching for uh, an acquisition candidate, uh, it bears costs and those costs are paid by the sponsor. So the sponsor is putting capital at risk to go through this process. It also pays part of the underwriting fees and the legal fees and it, it's, it's, a, it's an expensive exercise. And so the way the way the, the, this works, once the IPO is complete, the money goes in trust the SPAC has a certain amount of time uh, to complete its its merger and subject to an extension or two uh, if the merger is not completed the SPAC liquidates the IPO investors get their money back and the sponsor loses its risk capital so you're right to point out that uh, that clock is ticking and as we move farther down the road from the IPO and towards the liquidation deadline, uh, there is a, a growing amount of pressure on the SPAC sponsor to execute a merger. Absolutely.
0: Well, folks know on this podcast that I cover food and ag. Uh, I've really been in that space now for um, almost ten years. It'll be ten years next year, and. I've witnessed, and I'm sure you have too, the level of interest from institutional capital, structured as venture capital, deploy its proceeds in ag tech. And over the last, I'd say, five to seven years, and even more recently, there's been more momentum to deploy cash into technology that allows the farmer to do more with less and to improve the farmer's yield, regardless of the product that they're producing. This ag tech cottage industry seems to me to be ripe for liquidity events in the next, call it one to three years. That sort of dovetails quite nicely with the volume of SPACs that are coming to the surface today. Are you seeing any examples of SPACs looking at targets that have an agriculture underlying business model?
1: So it's been, there have been very few SPACs that identify ag tech or agriculture in general as a target. Uh, But um, as we've mentioned previously, SPACs are not allowed to name their targets before the IPO. And even when they designate a certain sector uh, these designations are very, very loose, and, and you can find in uh, specs that originally IPO'd saying that they'd look for a healthcare company to a a deal or an automotive deal or, or something else. And so the idea here is to find a, an acquisition candidate that is, um, that is a good fit for a SPAC. and And that candidate, the acquisition candidate, needs to have a certain profile in order to do that. Since a SPAC has, in addition to its advantages, also has costs and disadvantages, the, the acquisition candidate has to have the ability to overcome those to make the transaction worthwhile. And most of the SPACs that we've seen recently have been in technology and in healthcare because that there is that potential for explosive valuation expansion, which can overcome the dilution uh, in the original SPAC structure. To the extent that there are parts of the agriculture sector that can demonstrate certain um, uh, similar capabilities then i think we'll see um then i think we'll see more uh, interest growing in SPAC mergers within agriculture
0: there seems to be some interest in in my space i i read recently as of i think yesterday a filing for App Harvest that uh, was considering merging with a spec. Did did you see that news?
1: Yes. So that is very, very recent since they filed on September 28th um, their merger. And um, App Harvest is merging with a company called Novus. Novus raised, uh, I believe, $100 million in its IPO. uh, And the transaction is valued at $350 million. So it's important to understand well, how do
0: you how do you do that if they okay. only have a hundred million dry power right
1: so so it goes back to the spec structure and perhaps we, we should have talked about it at the beginning for a SPAC merger to be successful the target has to be has to be valued at more than the spec and ideally multiples of the spec so two three four times the value of the spec so just by by regulation, a SPAC can only merge with a target that is valued at least eighty percent of the amount in trust. Can't be less than eighty percent of the amount in trust. But because SPACs uh, come along with a substantial dilutive interest to, uh, by the sponsor, the target has to has to have a valuation that is much greater than that. And so, what you see is because these are all um, uh, uh, exchange offers not cash acquisitions Uh, the idea is that the SPAC will issue to the target a number of shares that is much larger than the original number of shares outstanding thereby leaving the target as the surviving entity because the target shareholders will own most of the SPAC shares and so what happens is the cash and trust is really there to support the combined business, not to fund the acquisition of the target.
0: You know, and hearing you speak about that, the complex nature of the SPAC, it makes me think, you know, there's potentially two needs for the sponsor from the investment banking community. One is on the capital market side, but the, also, the other component is on the advisory side and it's not just advisory in the sense of helping structure and working with counsel to do so but also once they're listed and set up publicly traded probably they should hire an advisor to identify targets or do they go into this with their own expectations how often do you see SPACs working with bankers to to identify targets
1: always Uh, So, it's important to note that uh, there are two kinds of sponsors. Uh, They're they're, um, strategic sponsors or industry sponsors, people who come from within a certain sector and um, have the deal flow and the relationships to originate their own uh, acquisition targets. And then there are deal sponsors, people who come from the financial sector and who are there to really facilitate the transaction, who then seek out a target that has a management team that can take the business over. But in in every case, uh, the target search is the hardest, longest, most expensive part of this effort. And so uh, since SPACs have management teams of two or three people, that's it, uh, they need need help. And, And they hire that help by engaging an investment bank. But to your point about um, the interface between the investment banking community and and the SPAC universe, I think it's really on three levels. One, as you say, uh, the capital market side, because once the IPO is over, we should always remember that the IPO investors have the right to redeem their shares or tender their shares back and get their money out. If all investors do that, the SPAC is left with no cash. And so the SPAC, once it's it's identified an acquisition target, has to go and raise money to recycle these investors, to redeem the investors who want to be redeemed, and bring in new cash to do that. And so the way they do that is typically through a pipe offering. So that's uh, level number one. Level number two is, uh, as you say, again, identifying the target. Level number three, once that target is identified, Structuring the merger is is actually pretty complicated um, there As I said, it's a merger transaction not a, not a um, Not a capital markets transaction and these things tend to be uh, to vary um, Pretty widely uh, you can structure a merger pretty much any way you want and so whether it's the sponsors uh, uh, um, The sponsors uh, compensation whether it's deferred whether it's an earnout, whether there's a lockup, uh, do some of the uh, target investors want to sell their shares as, a, as part of the merger? Do they want to hold on to it? There's so many things that go into these mergers. It, it's called the de spacking process, and that de spacking process is very complicated and very intricate.
0: Well, hopefully we. Uh... We've piqued the curiosity of some of my listeners, and and for those out there who are considering a back or have listed a SPAC, uh, we're here to help. Before we conclude this conversation, though, I think it's important to look back, because this is not a new product, and understand how have SPACs performed historically, and why is now going to be different? Because my understanding is that the, the SPAC product sort of has a tainted legacy as it relates to a return profile for investors but that hasn't stopped 2020 being a record year for that product to be listed what's your view on how they performed historically and and your outlook
1: so uh historically SPACs have not performed well uh and um Uh, There's research that shows that only about a third of the SPACs that completed their mergers actually produced positive returns. Um, The issue there has been uh, that in the past, SPACs uh, did have a bit of a stigma and uh, were um, were on the receiving end of sort of adverse selection. So only those companies that couldn't IPO, in the more traditional method, would consider uh, doing SPAC mergers, and the, and these SPACs really saw uh, the um, the remainder that uh, that decided that they couldn't approach the market in other ways. I think that's changing for a number of reasons. One, you see that the the quality of sponsors is is much different these days than it used to be. Uh, in the past, again, there were deal guys who just kind of, you know, ran around and, and uh, there was a bit of it. Um, it was a bit of, a, um, uh, I don't want to call it a mystery, but uh, it, was, it wasn't always clear what they were doing, what they were up to, and what they had in mind. These days, uh, things are, are a lot more transparent. Uh, the sponsor promote uh, has, has to meet triggers and thresholds for them to realize all that promote. The SPACs are much, much larger these days than they used to be. Uh, I don't know, 10, maybe even five years ago, SPACs were tens of millions of dollars. Today, they're hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. Uh, The sponsor has a lot more money at stake. And so the long-term success of these companies Uh, becomes a much greater feature uh, a feature rather than a short-term trade what it also means is that it's getting harder and harder for these specs to identify targets because if you're looking within a a sector you're looking for a private company that could justify a multi-billion dollar valuation that hadn't already gone public and is public ready? Because we have to remember that the that uh, the target has to be ready to be public on day one of the merger. So mm-hmm. how many how many targets are out there that could meet all these uh, uh, all these criteria, uh, which makes the the market more competitive from the SPAC perspective. Uh, so it's it's a market in evolution. I think uh, it is shedding some of its uh, historical stigma and is uh, today seen as a more legitimate and viable alternative. And as I said, just generally, it's good to see that there are more ways for people to approach public markets and there are more alternatives, and that's always good for issuers.
0: We're talking today with Sageev Shiv, Senior Managing Director in the Advisory Business at National Securities Corporation. And the topic of the discussion is the SPAC product, Special Purpose Acquisition. Gede, thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, hopefully we can touch base and call it six months and see how these SPACs have performed. But as always, fascinating conversation. I always learn when I talk to you. Really appreciate your time. Is there anything that I should have asked that you wanted to discuss as it relates to the SPAC?
1: Well, I think I think you covered it. Uh, what, what I would uh, urge your, your clients to do and your listeners is to just reach out ask questions, become informed. It is a very, very complicated product that is evolving very quickly. And so what we say here today may may be uh, less relevant a month or two from now. Uh, We're already seeing changes to the way the IPO uh, recycling is is being handled. And so please, uh, listeners, if you have a question, call Ivan, and we'll do our best to answer it. Thank you. Thanks, Ivan. Great to be with
0: you. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.